Welcome, welcome to uh, the Rock Church's live stream service this morning. Um, if you're a regular attender, we're grateful that you came this morning. If you're a new attender, we want to welcome you. We want to just say that we're so grateful that you're here this morning, and we are looking forward to the day where we might be able to meet you face-to-face here. We are praying for that and ready for that to become a reality. Um, so at, to that end, just know that you can be praying um, this day. The, uh, the elder board will be meeting and, and, and starting to uh, look at what is that going to look like as we come together. We're also hopeful to hear this week from our governor about uh, some plans for the state and, and what they're seeing as that unfolds. So you can be praying in all of those respects. So this morning, we want to talk about this idea of, of, of how can you use me, and we're going to look into Peter's life, and I just got to say that this whole picture that we're about to look into, the, the, the imagery and the story, I think it's one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. It really touches my heart, and I hope this morning that it'll touch yours as well. You know, sometimes that's our question is, is how can God use me if, if I've been X and I've done X and my past looks like it looks? And, and the reality of our lives is that, is that we all have things in our lives that we believe might just disqualify us from ministry. And this morning, I hope that we might see that those things might actually uniquely qualify us for ministry and, and not the opposite. So we're going to look back. We need to look into Peter's life a little bit, and we need to kind of understand some, some context. So the, the, the meat of our story this morning is going to come out of John chapter 21, and, and this is a story where, where Jesus is uh, the, after the resurrection, and, but before his final ascension, which is kind of where we're at right now. We're, we're looking at this time where, where Jesus has been crucified, he's, he's resurrected, but he's not yet uh, finally uh, done his, his, his ascension at, at where he's uh, leaving until he returns turns finally. He, we're in this space where uh, he's kind of teaching. He's, he's helping his, his disciples to process through what all has went on and what's going on. And, and there's a really unique and interesting uh, interaction with Peter. So let's go back and let's look at, at Peter and let's look at some of his life and let's look at how this all developed. So in Mark uh, chapter 1, verses 16 and 18, we see that Jesus is passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, and he sees Simon and Andrew there, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And it says that immediately they left their nets and they followed him. What an amazing picture of, of, of these guys and, and, and what they must have known and understood, what they've already seen and understood about Jesus that would cause them, and even just the, 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 the presence that he must have emitted, they, they would leave their nets and they would immediately begin to follow him. A little while later in another interaction, we see this, and this we're given in Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 11. And it says, when, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, so Jesus says, he, he's been teaching, and it says that the crowds were pressing in so much on him that he had to get in a boat and just slip a little ways offshore because the crowds were pressing in. There's so many people that were coming. And these guys, the disciples in that time, they had been putting away all of their stuff. As a matter of fact, we're going to see in a minute that they'd been out all night fishing. And now they're getting their stuff cleaned up and put away and, and ready for the next day. And Jesus gets into one of their boats and he slips off of the shore just a little bit. And it says this, he says, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered him and said, master, we toiled all night long 
and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. What, what, a, what a cool picture in that these guys are professional fishermen. I mean, these guys know how to catch fish in the Sea of Galilee. And if you've ever been around a fisherman, you don't generally tell fishermen how to catch fish. You know what I mean? But these guys, they, 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 they take it in and, and Peter says, okay, look. He's like, look, Lord, you know, we fished all night. There aren't any fish here. But he says, okay, I'll do it. And, and even after having cleaned up all his stuff, he throws it over the side and they catch this amazing amount of fish. All these fish come in. And it says that they, they even had to signal to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and both boats were filled. And it says so much so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O oh Lord. You see, this is our reaction. This is the reality of the reaction. When we come in contact with the reality of God and who he is, this is the reaction that really has to happen in our hearts is that we recognize that we're the created, that he's the creator, that he is completely other than, than us, that he is the all-powerful, all-knowing God, and we're just laid bare and exposed before him. And when we understand that, it brings us to our knees. Isaiah had a similar uh, experience in, in chapter six of the book of Isaiah where it says that he went in the temple and he saw the Lord high and lifted up and the whole place was filled with smoke. And it says that the seraphim were, were, were shouting out, holy, holy, holy. And his response was, I'm ruined for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. You see, when he came to experience the reality of who God was, it made him have an understanding, a right understanding of who he was before this holy and perfect God. So Peter says, away from me for I am a sinful man. And he says that uh, uh, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And they had brought their boats to the land. They left everything and they followed him. Imagine what they, what they thought. Again, they, they leave everything about their, their, their jobs, their future. They, they commit it all to God. And this, this God, Jesus, yeah, this Messiah is telling them, I'm gonna make you into a fisher of men. You were a fisher of fish and I'm gonna make you into a fisher of of people, I have a plan for you. I have uh, things for you to do. And it says that they left and they followed him. And these three guys go on to become kind of part of Jesus's inner circle even in the midst of his ministry. Peter's the guy who, as far as I know, uh, is the only person who's actually walked on water for any amount of time. And in Matthew, we're told that, that there's a storm and that the disciples are out there, that they're, uh, that they're out on the Sea of Galilee and that a storm has, has come up and that storm and the winds are even preventing them to, from getting into the shore. And Jesus has been off praying. And it says in the fourth watch of the night, so way early in the early morning hours, it says that Jesus comes walking on the water into this storm to meet them there. And it says, uh, Simon Peter answered him. He says, Lord, if it's you, at first they're totally afraid. They think it's a ghost. And then somebody says, and Jesus says, don't be afraid, it's me. And, and Peter answers this way. He says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come on. And it says that Peter, he got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand 
and took hold of him saying, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? So Peter just says, hey, you say it and I'll do it. You, you, you tell me I'm coming out of the boat. If that's you, Lord, and you command me out of this boat and onto the wall, I'll do it. I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And Jesus says, well, okay, come on. And he does it. And he, what an amazing picture that in the middle of this storm, in the middle of what's going on, Peter steps out of this boat and onto the water. And when his eyes are fixed on Jesus, he's walking on the water. Problem is, Peter allows the circumstances around him. He allows the wind and the effects of the wind. He starts to see the waves and the foam on the waves. He starts to realize the reality of the storm that he is in the middle of. He takes his eyes off of the solution, and he's completely engulfed and surrounded by the problem, and he begins to sink. What a picture for our own lives, even right now in the midst of what we're going on. But Jesus is faithful, and he reaches out his hand, and he pulls Peter up. And I don't think that he gets after Peter in any kind of a bad way. I think he just goes, oh man, Peter, you have little faith. You were doing it. Ah, oh, why did you doubt? You were right there. You were walking on the water. You were doing it. You see, Jesus is calling us out of the boat and he calls us into great things. He calls us into things that, uh, that, that, that we would never imagine, things that we can't even conceive of. But the reality of it is, as you see, in our own strength and surrounded by our problems, we're gonna be unable to do that. In order to do the things that he's calling us to do, we've gotta keep our eyes fixed on him. So Peter, that was part of his life, a really cool thing that he got to do. Another thing that was an amazing thing that Peter got to do was he got to make the confession of who Jesus was. Jesus is sitting with his disciples and he's asking them, he's saying, you know, uh, so it says he, he came to Caesarea Philippi and he was asking his disciple, hey, who do, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist and others say you're Elijah. Still others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered him. He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. This is an interesting interaction here. We've got Jesus and, and he personalizes that message. It's, it it's kind of looks like this. Uh, who does everybody say I am? Who does the world say that I am? Versus who do you say that I am? And, and Peter gets it right. He says, you are the son of God. And it's an interesting uh, thing that Jesus does next because Jesus addresses him. He says, you are the son of God. And, and Jesus says, you are the son of Jonah. The bar Jonah means son of. So Simon is his name. Simon, son of Jonah. I, I think Jesus is reminding him of the reality that you, you didn't get this out of your intellect. You didn't figure this out because you're so smart. You got this. Remember, you're a part of the created, but you got this because the creator has chosen to reveal himself to you. He, you, you got this because God has shown you the reality of who he is. And so Peter gets to make this great proclamation of the reality that I'm sitting in the presence of the Messiah. I think that Peter struggled with, with things like pride, like, like most of us do. And, and I think that Peter, when I look at his life and when I see a lot of the things that the word teaches about him, I think that he was a go-to guy. I think that he was an all-in guy. I think that he was passionate and sometimes his passion had him putting his foot in his mouth or tripping up or uh, making some mistakes. But nonetheless, I, it, Peter's passion, his devotion, I think that he was an all-in guy. I think Peter's the kind of guy when he says, I got your back, he means it. And he means it to, to, to the depth of who he is. And, and so 
in these things, we, we see a lot of Peter and him operating in himself, his own abilities, his own strengths. And even here, look at this, Mark 14, 29 through 31. It says, Peter says to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. Even though everybody else will fall away from you, God, you don't understand who I am. You don't, you don't understand the depth of character that I have in this thing. I will not fall away from you. I'll never deny, I'll, 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 I'll be with you. I got your back. I know what's going, I know where we're going and why we're going. I left everything behind to do this thing with you and I will not turn my back. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night, this night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And I got to tell you, we we're going to see this, but I think Peter means this. He, he, he's not kidding. And this is part of who Peter sees himself to be. I think Peter sees himself as an absolutely dedicated follower of Jesus, a, a strong individual, a, a real guy, a real man's man. And if he says he's got your back, he means it. And so he's, we're moving on. And Jesus makes an interesting statement as in this conversation that, that Luke records. And he says this, he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Imagine, imagine having a conversation with Jesus. I, I put myself in this. I'm like, really? I mean, like, you imagine if Jesus said, hey, try. <sighs> Satan has requested to sift you like wheat. I would be like, what? I, like the Satan? I mean, like, like you told him no, right? But Jesus says, no, I've I've I, I prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. This is a kind of a New Testament picture of an Old Testament story that we see in the book of Job, where, where, where God says, look at my righteous dude, Job, and, and Satan is like, oh, he only loves you because you give him stuff. And God says, no, 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 there's a, there's a depth of relationship that's deeper than that, 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 that isn't based in the temporal, that isn't just only in the physical or the temporal or the material. It's a spiritual connection and it's real. And Jesus is telling, telling Peter, you're about to go through a trial, but take heart, I've prayed for you, that when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times that you know me. What an what a amazing picture and, and what a disheartening thing for Peter to have to listen to. What a hard thing for him to try to be wrapping his head around and trying to figure this out. But you see, you know, the reality of it is, is that pride and self-sufficiency are insidious in our lives. They're the very thing that, that spiritually cripple us and, and break us down. And the reason was, is that we weren't ever meant to be uh, spiritually independent or strong or able in our own strength to, to do this thing or to walk this out or to even follow Jesus. A little while later, we see that in the Garden of Gethsemane that Jesus has went in and, and he's begun to pray and he's, he, the, the, the weight of what's going on is, is coming down on him. He's realizing the reality of what his crucifixion is going to entail and, and he's, he, the impending separation from the Father and he's in great crisis in, in, in the human aspect of him. And he has these three guys and he, he tells them, look, stay up and, and pray with me. I need you right now. And it says he... A little bit, he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, 
Could, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I think that Jesus is telling him, look, what, what, is your, what is your operating system here? Is it the flesh or is it the spirit? Because the flesh is always gonna be insufficient. The, the, the flesh isn't gonna follow. The flesh isn't gonna be able to do this. Your self-will will always be limited in how far it can take you. You need something outside of yourself. You need something bigger than you. You need to be in the spirit in this time. And it's only the spirit that would get you through this. And, and it's just a recognition of, Peter, where are you at? Are you, are you trying to do this in your own strength? Because you're asleep and you need to wake up. I need you to pray with me in this time. And so a little bit more time goes by and, and, and it, the, the Bible says that a Roman cohort shows up and a, and a cohort had varying numbers depending on the time that you look at in Rome, but it was 300 plus soldiers. And, and, and so when they came to arrest Jesus in the garden, they're fully expecting the possibility of rioting and insurrection and different things like that. And so they bring enough soldiers to make sure they're gonna quell this thing and it's gonna happen quickly. And it says that while he was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. See, we know that this was Peter and, and Peter pulled his sword out, it says, and he, he cut off uh, Malchus's ear, the, the, the servant to the high priest, Caiaphas. He, he cut his ear right off right there. And, uh, you know, Peter, he, he's not a bumbling guy. He, he didn't, you know, just miss. And he probably was trying to cut the guy's head off and he was doing it in front of a Roman cohort. Was Peter ready to die with Jesus? Absolutely. I think that Peter believed at this point in time that Jesus was gonna deliver them from Roman occupation, that he was gonna set the Jewish people free, that, that, that everything was about to unfold and it was go time and it was time for him to fulfill his position and his position looked like power and, and fighting and strength and all of the things that he saw himself to believe and so he pulls his sword out and he cuts somebody's ear off and Jesus comes up beside and, and says, put that away. That's it's not how my kingdom is going to run. My kingdom isn't by that kind of stuff. It's not by might and power. It's not by war. It, it, it's going to happen in a different way. If it were that, hey, I could end it right now. But he comes up and it says that he, 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 he touches the ear of this servant and he heals it. And what a picture, I think, too, for us as believers, because a lot of times, you know, God's word is called the sword of the spirit, and we can run around as believers cutting people's ears off with that sword, and Jesus has got to run around patching us, patching people's ears back on. Um, but certainly, it's a protection for Peter here. There's no way for them to bring accusation against Peter at this point, because there's no evidence. And if it wasn't for that, Peter probably would have been on a cross at that time with Jesus as well. But Jesus protects him about that at this point. And then we go on and we see the story unfold a little bit further. And the first one that Peter denies is a little servant girl. Imagine a man's man, a tough guy, a guy who's got your back. And all of a sudden, he has to deny his master, his Lord, the one that he said he was all in to a little girl. First thing. And then another person says, hey, is it you? You're with him too. And he's like, ah, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And the third, no, no, it's not me. 
And I think that we need to cut Peter just a little bit of slack here because can you imagine what is he- what's going through his head right here that just everything, the way that he believed it would happen, the way that he believed that this was all gonna go down, everything about the plans and the preparations that he had made, the way he saw his future being fulfilled and what that was gonna look like, all of it is going away at this point. And I can't imagine what kind of confusion that brought him into. And, and now his master is, 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 is in court and is being accused of blasphemy. And, and, and he's just, what is going on? I, I don't know. Hey, you're with him. I, I don't know. You know what? I thought I, was, I thought I knew what was going on, but evidently I really didn't. And so Peter, he denies him. Peter goes against his own moral code here. And I think that this is something that we have to look at and understand because it doesn't matter how good a person you think you are. It doesn't matter how good of a life you think you've, you've led. We all are able to look back in our, in our past and realize the reality of how we violated our own moral code, much less God's that I've been unable to even stand up and and be the character that I view myself to be because everything that I say that I stand for and that I'm about, I've violated it in the past. I've done the very opposite of the thing that I said I was. And so for Peter, what a crushing thing, but what a necessary thing. This was absolutely a necessary part of Peter's journey. When Jesus was preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You see, it's not until we recognize the reality of our own spiritual poverty, it's not until we recognize that that we've been the problem, not the solution, that no matter how good we see ourselves being, the reality of it is, is that in our past, there's somebody who would bring charges against us. There's somebody who would deny that. There, there's, there's the reality of, of who I've been in the past that counters the, the perception of who I see myself to be. And so the, the solution to that isn't to get better. It's not to get more self-help books. It's not to be more empowered by your self-will. It's about surrender. It's about recognizing the reality that apart from God and separated from him because of sin, I'm unable to be who, I would ha- who God would have me to be. That really the, the, the pathway back isn't by strength. It's by weakness. God's power is perfected in our weakness, not in our strength. And so the reality of it is, is before I need a savior, I'm gonna to have to first recognize that I have need for a savior, that, 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 that I'm insufficient spiritually, that I'm poor in spirit, and that I have a need outside of myself. And when we start to recognize that we have a need that's outside of ourselves, a need that we can't fulfill, then life starts to look like a need for a savior. I need someone to come. I need to be rescued out of this. And blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You see, we need to mourn our sin. We need to get real with the reality of who we've been, and we need to do business with Jesus. And and that's really how things are about to kind of develop here in 21 as we look into this. We're going to see Jesus meet with Peter. And what what a picture again, not Peter coming and finding Jesus, but this is a picture of Jesus going and finding Peter. Just like last week when we dealt with and looked at the road uh, to Emmaus, it was Jesus who pursued those two guys and, and, and helped them in the midst of their struggle. So let's look into this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, 
called the twin, Nathanael of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. He said to him, we will go with you. They went out and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Okay, you see this shaping up again. Now think about this. Jesus has told Peter, I'm gonna make you a fisher of men. But I think that Peter at this point of the story is saying, I can't be a fisher of men because I denied my Lord and Savior. I, I denied the Christ, the one that I proclaimed to be the Messiah. I denied him and I denied him three times. There's no way he's gonna use me to be a part of what he wants to do. Even though he's seen him resurrected, Peter understands this at this point. He's seen the risen Christ, but he can't believe in his own heart that this risen Christ would have any ministry for him, that he would have any use for him. So what's he saying? I'm gonna go back to being a fisher of fish because that's what I know. That's where I come from. That's, that's what I got left is I'm just gonna go back and I'm just gonna go back to where I was uh, because I, I can't go forward. I thought I was going forward in this. I thought that I was part of something great and something magnificent that was going on in the world. But now, because of what I've done and who I've been, I've just gotta go back to my past. I've gotta go back to where I was. I'm just gonna go fish for fish. And it says that they fished all night and they caught nothing. And as day was breaking, it says that Jesus stood on the shore Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. All fishermen hate to be asked that question when they haven't caught any fish, right? No. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. So here he is again. Uh, he's he's uh, into the sea. This time he's not walking on the water, but he doesn't care. He's headed back to Jesus. He's understanding this. He's, he's been in this situation before. He's seen it where, where we throw our nets in. He tells us to throw it in. And oh man, again, it's this massive catch of fish. And so he's headed to, to Jesus. He's got his focus on him and he's swimming that way. I think I went one too many. And it says the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not from the land, uh, far from land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, and he hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said, come to them, said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So again, they, they don't seem to be physically recognizing him, but they're understanding and they're recognizing the reality of his work. They're, it, it's kind of like believing in the wind, right? We see the effects of the wind and that's therefore we believe in the wind. Um, they're seeing the effects of Jesus's ministry and they understand that this, this is Jesus right here that we're dealing with. 
Uh, and, and, and he says, bring some of those fish here, but you know what? He's already prepared breakfast for them. And again, just this picture of, of just feeding and, and having this restoration and this ministry happen at a table. I can't emphasize it. It's just jumping all over at me about the importance of, of ministry done around a table, around food. Jesus just does it time and time again. And so he, he's got breakfast made for him. And he tells him, he says, go, go grab some of those fish that you caught. And Peter brings out a whole net of fish, 153 big fish in. And it says that they, that, that they have some breakfast and Jesus broke bread with them and, and they have a nice breakfast together. And then, and then Jesus has a little bit of intimate time with Peter here. And, and he says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, Son of John, do you, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Now, this picture is, a, is, is an interesting picture here because um, we got a couple of things here. I think that Jesus, when he says, do you love me more than these? Peter's just hauled up a big net full of fish. What's he went back to do? Be a fisher of fish. And Jesus is saying, do you, do you love me more than fishing? That's a tough one for a fisherman too, right? And you're like, ah, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. But Peter says, and we have to really get a hold of the Greek here. This is a place where the English just misses it, honestly. In Greek, there are four words for love. There's, there's, there's storge, eros, phileo, and agape. When Jesus asked Peter at this point in time, when he says, do you love me more than these? The word that Jesus uses is the word agape. And, and agape is the highest form of love. Agape is a love that loves in the best interest of the object of that love. It's the kind of love that God has for us. It's an unconditional love. It's not based on our performance or how well we've done or how good a person we are or any of that stuff. It's based in his character and his goodness. And this love is pure. And it's, it's, it's just the love that goes out for us. And so Jesus asked Peter, do you love me like that? Do you love me perfectly? Do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me like I love you? Well, what, what are you going to say to that if you're Peter? I mean, you just denied him three times not too long ago. You, 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 you are in this place of feeling shamed and, 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 and worthless, maybe, um, unable to move forward into, into any of this stuff, having to just go back to what you knew. And, and Jesus says, do you agape me? And Jesus says, or I'm sorry, Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, the word that Peter uses is the word phileo. And phileo is a little different word than agape, and it means like I have a great affection for you. As a matter of fact, the, the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, phileo, Delphia, the city of brotherly love. And, and, and so he's, what he's saying is I have a great affection for you. You know that I love you, but, but what am I supposed to say? Can I say I agape you? See, Peter just meets him with honesty and says, this is really where I'm at. You, you already know. I mean, how could I say I agape you after what I've done and after what has happened? But you know, Lord, that I have a great affection for you. And Jesus makes an interesting thing. He says, okay, feed my lambs. Do, so, do my work. Be about making lambs and helping them to kind of grow up. And, and, and then Jesus asks him again. He said a second time, son, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, 
you know that I love you. Now, Jesus, again, uses the love word agape. Do you, do you love me perfectly? Do you love me like I love you? Do you love me um, the highest form of love? And Peter says, Lord, you know that I have a great affection for you. He uses phileo again. I, I have a great affection for you. You know that I love you like a brother, but I, I just can't say that right now. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. And then he says to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says that Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, what happens here is that Jesus makes a little change in his word. As a matter of fact, instead of using the word agape, now Jesus says, Peter, do you have a great affection for me? Do you phileo me? And Peter, it says that he's grieved. And I think that he's grieved, not be, just because Jesus has asked him the third time, but because Jesus has had to change his word. And Jesus meets Peter right where he's at. P Jesus doesn't say, hey, look, when you can get this all together, when you can agape me, then we'll talk and we'll talk ministry, we'll talk. No, Jesus just meets him where he's at. And each time says, just do what I've called you to do. Do just, you're still in there, Peter. You're still part of this thing. And, and, and so, so Peter says, look, you know all things, Lord. You know that I have a great affection for you. And Jesus says, okay, feed my sheep. What a picture of restoration and, and what a picture of just Jesus just meeting him where he's at and using him for what he has purposed for him. And then Jesus goes on to say, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And then it says that he said this to show him by what kind of death he was going to glorify God. And after saying, follow me. You know, Jesus is, is prophetically telling Peter here, you're, you're going to have a long life. But at the end of that long life, it says, you're going to stretch out your hands. And, and, and you're going you know, you're, you're, you're to be taken in a way, and, and this is how you're going to die. But in the meantime, he says, you just follow me. You just do what I've called you to do. And so when we get to Acts and we look at chapter 2, um, we get to this place where the disciples are, are, are um, in the upper room, and, and it's the day of Pentecost. It's 50 days after the Passover. It's the celebration of the harvest, and it says that the Holy Spirit comes down on God's people and, and they begin to be empowered and they begin to speak out God's word and even in all kinds of language and tongues. And, and it says that, that, that they're empowered and he's given them authority and he begins to send them. And we see just a little bit later that Peter goes out and, and he goes out into the, to the city and he begins to preach. And, and after he preaches... It says that 3,000 put their trust in Jesus as Messiah and are baptized, and the church is born basically on that very day. And what a picture of how, how God used this, this Peter, um, used him for his purposes despite who he was. And you know, church history says that Peter was crucified, that, that he died um, crucified as well by the Romans, except when the Romans went to crucify Peter, he said, I'm not worthy to die in the same manner as my Lord. So when you crucify me, you crucify me upside down. 
And, and, and so uh, this thing took place. And where Peter ultimately said that he would die for Jesus, he got the opportunity to do that. He got to, to fulfill that spot, that, that character thing that, that he wanted to be and who he wanted to be and how faithful he wanted to be. But you see, he first had to learn humility. He first had to learn about his spiritual poverty. He first had to realize that he needed to rely on God and his power, that he needed to, uh, to join back and to be rightly related with God. And that was the place that it was going to be his power and his source. And so, so it says that he's crucified. It said that church history tells us that the Romans crucified Peter. And I, I, this isn't in the Bible, but it's just always something I've thought. And it's something that I just, I want to check out when I get to heaven. And it's this, I, I just picture as, as Peter comes into the presence of Jesus at the end of that, after having been crucified. And I just picture that Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you agape me? And I bet Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I agape you. So where are you? Maybe you've got things that you think have precluded you from ministry, things that you would say might disqualify you. I hope that in this interaction between Jesus and one of his disciples, you'll see the reality of how God wants to, to, to first bring us to a place of, of, of humility and spiritual poverty where he wants to, us to realize that, that we don't hold the power, but that he does. And, and when we're related to him, you see, in that picture, it was love first and then works. Jesus didn't tell Peter, go out and do a bunch of good stuff. Go, go be a really good person. Go out there and, and get yourself well stronger. No, what he said was, do you love me? Because if you love me, you can do this. That's all it takes. And so I just want to encourage us that that's the picture. The picture is where are you rooted? Where, where, where's, where's your love strength found? Are, are, are we looking to, for our, to ourselves or are we recognizing that he's the vine and we're the branches. And that if we uh, abide in him and him in us, that we will bear much fruit. You see, fruit comes when we're rooted into the right place. So I just want to encourage you today, if you've ever felt like you were outside of God's plan of ministry, that this guy sure wasn't. As a matter of fact, God used him mightily. And I believe that God wants to use you mightily as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that it's about you, that you're the one who restores. You're the one who, who holds uh, the future. You're the one who knows all things. You're the one who is all powerful and the one who has all strength. So Lord, help us that we might just be humble before you, that we might be rightly related to you. And that, that Lord, in that, that, that we might be doing the things that you've called us to do, not because we're good, not because we're strong, but because you are, Lord. So help us to be rooted into this place, Lord, this place of reliance on you. Help us to draw deep from your well, Lord. Help us to, to drink of that water that you say, if we're drinking of it, that we'll thirst no more. The water that you say will well up within us and, and, and just flow out. Lord, help us that we might be channels of blessing to the world around us. And in these times in particular, Lord, may we, may we find the place in the ministry that you have for us. May we realize that those very places, those very points that we believe might disqualify us from ministry really uniquely qualify us. So Lord, may we just do business with you. May we get right with you. And then Lord, we just ask that you would use us. Use us to your glory, to your end. And we pray it in Jesus' name.
Amen.